welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I am honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode nine of season five of This Osteopathic Life. This is the final episode of season five, and thank you for being here, even through the expansive time between episodes, right? The fewest and farthest between episodes we've had in any of the seasons. And I know that coming back to this podcast, whenever it occurs, really means a lot to me. And I hope it means a lot to those of you who are listening. And my intention heading into season six is to optimize consistency. I know the importance and power of that. And I also give myself grace for all that was happening in other areas of my life that made the podcast less of a priority in this past year. And I love the opportunity that the launch of the podcast, which coincides with my birthday, provides to start the year one month in. Having this month to test the waters, to have a dress rehearsal, to see what is working, what is not, what intentions are meaningful, what is worth being maintained, what needs to be tweaked. And so I have this time and this moment here to offer up that reflection on this past year of this osteopathic life, of my work in coaching for institutions, of the experience within my life, and also with gratitude for what this podcast has meant to me since its inception coming to this place to share ideas, to share conversations, to explore new concepts, to look up words and flip them on their side and see them in new ways. All of that has been really meaningful to me. And there have been multiple times during this year there have been a stop and a start. And admittedly, a few times, more than a few times, it was sinus congestion in vocalization that stopped me from recording. And I listen to podcasts regularly, and it does mean something when they come out. You know, on the Monday, you have these episodes, and on Thursday, you have these. And there have been times that the authors of the podcast, the hosts of the podcast, there's the word I was looking for, have been congested and otherwise, and still made it through. And so knowing it doesn't always have to be perfect to happen is a lesson I continue to learn. And that's really what I wanted to talk about here today in this reflective moment, thinking about this past year and knowing that it isn't because the podcast isn't important to me, but it's because other things did take precedence. And sometimes we do have to reprioritize and that is okay. I talk a lot about that in my coaching programs. If we look at what consumes our time, where we invest our time, it really is in those spaces that have the most meaning in that moment. And it might be for a wide variety of reasons. It may be obligation or responsibility or preferences, but noticing where you do invest your time and your creative input is a reflection of what matters most to you in that moment. And there has been a lot of in the moment now participation in my life. And in many ways, that's great progress, right? To be fully present, particularly with my children, is absolutely the most meaningful investment of my time at this juncture in my journey. Looking at 
those elements, right? Those descriptors of who and how I am, physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, all of those have been in that space, taking up various slivers of the pie chart of the use of my time, talent, energy, resources in this past year. And allowing for them to ebb and to flow, to not be static and rigid in those requirements is also part of that growth perspective and part of the health. That ability to have tensegrity in the system to flex and to move and to shift and to change and to levy the weight of those different areas as it's needed. And the piece that has come up for me, most of all in this year, which has been full of challenges, and we talk about, right, that's a thought, but we could put on paper and find some factual spaces of some difficult situations that have arisen over the past year. And also so many beautiful moments. And many of them are marked by success and victory in a traditional sense. I celebrated with my son as he won major rowing championships and you know, with my daughter as she learned music in a new way and with my middle son in the way that he launched into a new setting and embraced new sports and really stepped into himself fully. And also there have been celebrations in other ways that didn't necessarily have those tactical, tangible, external markers of success in the traditional sense. And for me, two of the ways that has come up have been in those realms of athlete and musician. So I've shared with you my journey that I have been a competitive athlete for most of my life, primarily in endurance sports, in running in high school and rowing in college and triathlon during medical school and beyond. And there really was this impetus to do well, to be great, to compete, to win. And that does absolutely have its time and place. It's not a requirement for everyone. But for me, that was my approach to athletics, right? Improving times, improving strength, getting faster, getting on the podium. Those were always the goals. And there was still enjoyment, right, outside of the victory. But for me, that was part of the process. And as I approached the end of my formal, let's say, triathlon career, I was asked, you know, would you want to just continue doing this even if you weren't competitive? And the answer really was no. And it wasn't because I didn't enjoy swimming, biking, and running, but because I enjoyed them so much that I no longer needed to put them into this context of a race. I swim and bike and run most days of the summer, and I participate in each of those activities in some way, shape, or form throughout the year. And it no longer seemed relevant or necessary for me, and again, this is not true for everyone, this is for me, to group them together in a racing format with more pressure, more fees, right? having a specific setting in a certain time of day when I could pair them in any way, shape, or form that I would like and enjoy them for what they were. Now, this summer, I did engage in an event. It wasn't a race, but it was an event. It was a timed event in so much as making sure everyone made it to the finish line. And there were awards for those who reached it first, but it's really meant to be more of an event swimming around Mackinac Island, right? Circumnavigating the island as much as you can. There's a little blip of the island that you cannot because the ferries travel in and out, but you complete the distance that would make for the circumference of the island. And I tolerate water of all temperatures, I tolerate exercise for long periods of time. I go in the water all season long. And arriving to this race, I was probably undertrained, right, for the volume of swimming, but I was treating it as eight one-mile swims, and that seemed viable with some nutrition in between. And of all the swimmers there, I probably had the most access, right, to cold, open water. That's my primary training ground beginning in June and spanning all the way through until November. And the water was really rough, the day before the swim. And 
in that roughness, it flipped the temperature of the water a good 15, almost 20 degrees. And when we began our journey, taking those first steps into the water that morning, I thought, wow, this is really cold. And it takes a lot for me to think that with water. And I had a wetsuit on and the swim was chaotic to start. And within the first 500 meters or so, I thought, I don't think I'm going to finish this, right? And I've been in triathlon spaces and there's usually that chaos until you find your steady state. And I did. But in that first mile, it was just so cold. And I was self-supported in this race. Some people complete it as a relay. My children were on the island, but they were resting at the time because it began early in the morning. And I stood up and took my first nutrition and thought, okay, that was one mile, but it took way longer than I thought it would. And I swam again and took nutrition at the second mile. And it became less and less fun as time went on. And as I approached the third mile, which was the first aid station and a place where you could exit the island and be counted for, I contacted, I had my phone with me in a waterproof uh, case within my buoy. And I contacted my niece and my sister and talked about it. And I thought, I don't think I want to continue. And I also noted that the use of my hands and the muscles of my mouth to reinflate that buoy, you deflate it to get your nutrition out and you reinflate it, no longer worked. I couldn't purse my lips enough to get a seal. And I thought, well, that's interesting. (laughs) So I stepped out of the water and many people did at this stage to exchange with the relay or to rewarm themselves. And many were taking a pause. And what I learned later was many took a long pause, almost an hour to rewarm themselves and then to reenter the water. And others carried on. So it was possible. It was physiologically possible. But each person is different. And as I stood on the shore and I checked in to let the noid exited the water. And then I said, you know, I think that's it for me. And it was three miles, which is a, a decent, it's a respectable swim. It's not eight. And it also puts you at the farthest point in the island. So you have to walk, right, pretty much that distance back. And I was okay with it. And actually, I was proud of the decision to stop. And over that course of time, I had shared my experience and my plan for this swim with my classmates in yoga teacher training over the course of our six months together and the weeks following our graduation. And so they were cheering me on and checking in with me, and I let them know. I stopped the swim at three miles, and I'm actually so proud of myself for doing so. And they echoed that sentiment because they know me and know my character and my tendency to push through and to carry on despite right whatever the circumstances might be. And so to be able in that moment to be done and to have zero regret, I had no desire to get back in the water. I didn't feel left out. I applauded and lauded those who finished the race. I walked myself back to the hotel. My children did bring me some clothes to help with the rewarming experience, but I took my barefoot self back around the island. And it was a beautiful day other than that coldness of the water. And I learned later that the water temperature did improve. It did increase as you made the turn around the island. And some did it without a wetsuit. One woman was from Florida, so certainly was not conditioned for that temperature of water, but she used those rewarming breaks and completed it somewhere in that nine-hour mark. And that's impressive, right? And that ability of the human spirit, absolutely. But for me in that moment, what I noticed most of all was that I love to swim. I don't identify as a swimmer necessarily. I swim a lot. I'm a runner who swims whenever I would talk about that in triathlon. I was always middle of the pack at best in the swim, but I love the water. I go to the water as often as I can every day during the summer to swim and to sit on its shore. And I didn't want that experience to become one of struggle and of strife and of resentment and of lack of enjoyment. 
And for me, it was preserving that relationship, that coming to the water is this space of safety, of solace, of enjoyment, of ease, of solitude, of all of those ways that water enriches me and nourishes me. And that relationship was being compromised in that space. And so I chose to disengage from powering through this swim. And I thought too, you know, I don't know if I had any business signing up for that because I don't think I ever want to swim that far. Three miles was plenty and completing this as a relay sounds like a really good option. And I noted that I didn't get a finisher's medal because I didn't finish what I began. And that piece, I would probably go back and change because some people swam one mile, some people swam three. And I showed up and I competed, right? I participated, let's say that, right? It wasn't a race, it was an event. Participated in that race I got the sweatshirt and I wear the sweatshirt with pride because I did, right? Swim around Mackinac Island, not completely, but I was swimming on the shore of Mackinac Island for a length of time. And for me, that was enough. And that is a major factor of growth for me to be able to say that was enough. And I choose to preserve the goodness of this relationship and not put so much pressure on this specific outcome here. I know that I want to swim for joy, not for meters and endurance and time. And that is where I am with that relationship. The other way that athlete self has come through in a different way this year is in a reconnection with the sport of volleyball. So my backstory with volleyball is I began playing in seventh grade. It was the available sport in the winter season in middle school. And that opportunity created a relationship for me that led to five beautiful spring breaks where I was welcomed into a sweet family and had this lovely experience in Myrtle Beach every year from eighth grade all the way through senior year of high school. Some of my fondest memories happened in that space and it was because of that connection on the volleyball court and I can appreciate that so much. Now I am not a natural athlete. I don't have a lot of natural talent but I will work hard right there is that piece and if given the opportunity with practice and repetition I make improvement and volleyball was really proof of that space it wasn't natural for me but to go for the ball right to show up for the team to practice and hone skills absolutely I was able to do that and when I arrived at the freshman volleyball tryouts I made the B team right A team B team so the less skilled of the two teams And I was thrilled because I was looking for something to do in the winter season because I was running cross country in the fall and track in the spring. When I arrived to the car for pickup after that final day of tryouts, excited with my announcement, I made the B team. I was met with the phrase of, oh, well, then you might as well quit. And that was really interesting for me. And I see in the context of excellence was always the driver, right? Amazing was meant to be my name. And so if you weren't going to be the best at it, why even bother? And I see that volleyball really opened up that space for me to say, you know, I really just want to be part of this team. I want to be engaged with this movement. I want to learn more about this sport. I want the chance to build skill. And I was completely okay with not being the best. And here's that comma, however, asterisk piece. So I played on the B team. It was fun. It was fine. I tried out the next year. I made JV. I played a fair amount. And then I made the varsity team as a junior, but as a backup setter. And I love the position of setter, the opportunity to be in every play and to help direct things on the court. And there was a moment in the winter break of junior year when the starting setter, who happened to be my co-captain from running, was on vacation. And so I stepped in and I played well. And then I became the starting setter. And we could unpack that whole piece there. And, you know, I do lament that there was some 
loss for my co-captain in that space. And I also appreciate that it provided this opportunity for me that I stepped into and where I really could see what it meant to learn and to practice and to grow. Many things do come naturally for me. Academics and music was a space where I could show up and play. And I certainly would have benefited from more practice there. Absolutely. But sports was a space where I really had to work for it. Same with running. Same with basketball, right? Where I didn't make the team and actually that pivoted me into running. Rowing, there was some natural talent there, but it was proof that hard work mattered. And volleyball gave me that opportunity. And so I offer a lot of gratitude to my co-captain and to my co-setter for embracing that outcome. And we continued a beautiful relationship into our senior years of running. And for that, I will ever be grateful. And actually, we've met at the start line of triathlons in the time since then. But I digress. Volleyball. So junior year and then senior year, right? I became an integral part of the team. And my sets got better. My serves got better. And while I still identified as a runner, I really appreciated that opportunity to be a captain, to be an MVP. I actually still have the trophy from that season. And our team did reasonably well. And we almost won districts in my senior year, right? That Uncle Rico moment, so close. But such lovely people. And all of that opportunity to see people grow into their strengths, to come together as a team. And volleyball really held a special place in my heart. And in the year I took off between undergraduate studies and medical school, I was at the local YMCA and I finished a workout and I was walking past the gym and I took that year off to compete in triathlon. That was my first real foray into that space. And I walked into the gym and there was a pickup game of volleyball happening with mostly older adults. And I said, oh, can I set for you? And the directive was, no, we rotate. Everyone hits, everyone sets, everyone plays defense. And I said, I'm really not a hitter, I'm a setter. And they said, well, if you want to play, that's the rule. And so here's a a thought around boundaries. I could have said, no, thank you, right? And I don't hold any regrets here. I see how this was a sliding door moment that led me into medicine. I've embraced that since then. But I did go out for an approach. I landed on someone's foot. My knee went side to side. And I knew immediately my ACL was gone. And I sat on the floor and was asked to leave the court so they could continue the game. And I scooted myself literally on my bottom, scooted myself off the floor, got into my car and was devastated. This whole year, right, was meant to be about triathlon and, you know, reliable knees are really helpful for that. And I had an assessment, wasn't designated for surgery at that time, ended up having surgery near the end of that year prior to medical school. And since that time, there's a difference, right? My right leg is different than my left. There will likely be arthritis in that knee. There probably is now because that was 20 some years ago. And I really became a little bit shy around those sports that required pivoting and changing of directions. I would play some tennis. I would play basketball gingerly, but I really didn't play much volleyball. And it was one of those things I just closed that chapter. I thought, well, it's no longer for me. I'm not eligible. You know, I'm scared of these movements. And that was a good 20 years. And since we've moved to Traverse City, I've engaged in some very gentle beach volleyball, six people on the court, stay in your space. But overall, I've really left it aside. And I was given the invitation. I was actually asked, do you play volleyball? And the answer immediately was yes. And then I thought, well, is that still true if the last time you touched the ball with any you know, purpose or focus was like 20 years ago? I thought, well, you just see, right? The truth is yes, right? I can play volleyball. I have played volleyball. And are those skills with me still today? We shall see. And I've been welcomed into this team 
and it has been so much fun. And I will say, serving was one of my greatest strengths in volleyball, and the serve has been a great weakness in this return season. Somewhat because of the narrowness of the gym, you can't take the same approach you can take due to how short the court is, but some simply due to different strength and familiarity, and also when you're participating in something one hour per week, the likelihood that you're going to be great at it is less. And it's a different body, right? This is 25 years later since I played really full-time volleyball. And movement to the ball is different. Willingness to sacrifice my body is different for good reason. And all of that around. The two pieces that really spoke to me were the moment when I stepped in again as setter, the primary setter for the team, had to be away. And this time on his return, we now split the setting, which is a beautiful uh, relationship to share. I was identified as a setter. Oh, your footwork and your hands and the you know, vision for the court. And just knowing that was still there. Now, not to the same degree of excellence that I was able to obtain through practice all those years ago, but just feeling those pieces of me come through. And also noticing I am on most days by my assessment, and I am likely my own worst critic here, the weak link on the team, right? I'll miss passes. And yes, I am a setter, but my sets aren't to the same caliber that they were. And I don't, I don't have a hitting approach. So I'm a weak point when I'm in the front row, but I do the best that I can. And it's just so much fun. And this is one of these moments that is so informative for me that it's not because of the result, because of excellence, being the best, all those skills that makes it fun. It's because I love the sports. I love to play. I get to be with people. We listen to music in the gym. It's a silly, lovely hour on a Wednesday. And I'm not discrediting that, yes, it's serious and wanting to win and being part of the team. Absolutely. But there's this lightness to it that I haven't experienced in a lot of ways because it always has been. Excellence. Get the result. Win the race. And it can seem like your enjoyment comes from that piece. But to know that it comes from being there and being part of it, independent of the actual quality of your play. And part of me in the beginning was like, I'm going to go to the Y, I'm going to get these reps in. And that could be okay. And also I thought, you know, I want to let it just be what it is. And maybe I'll play more volleyball. I don't know. I think I'm getting away with borrowed time for my joints. So I can appreciate the input and opportunity that I do have. But that lesson of just being with what is independent of the result has been really powerful. And that's also followed me into the musical space. Now, I identify as a cellist. Right? I played the cello since seven, eight years old, and it's come back in different ways. I was able to play with a professional symphony. I've played with a local cello group, and that has all been fantastic. And in this most recent season, I've had the opportunity to play in the local community orchestra, a beautiful group that has been cultivated for 20 years to bring musicians from all levels, young musicians, older musicians who are returning or coming to the instrument for the first time to have a space to perform in a chamber orchestra. And I love a quartet, maybe most of all, but chamber music really is a sweet spot for me in music. And to be part of this group as a violinist, so I'm the stand partner of my daughter, which is its own loveliness. And I can play notes on a violin. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm yet making music with the violin, but I can play well enough right, to hold my own and to be a contributor to the section. But I'm sitting at the back of violin too, which is very different than sitting at the first stand of the cello section. And what I've noticed there as well, even in this space where 
I cannot vibrato to save my life. And all my violinist friends, I needed tutorial and in-service because your wrist just doesn't, it doesn't move that way. <laughs> and, you know, I'm at the back of the section, which is a very different experience, right? There's a lot more noise and chaos that can happen at the back of an orchestra versus in that front row. I'm having so much fun and maybe even more fun because there isn't the pressure that comes with being the principal of a section. And now I love it. And if and when the opportunity presents itself to play a cello in either of these groups, I would probably embrace that, but not at the sacrifice of what I'm doing now. In addition to, there are two groups. And so if that opened up, I would embrace that or simply return to the cello group in the summer as that presents itself because it had its own level of loveliness. But what I realized was it was the making of music, being in the group, right? seeing just that chemistry that happens in the chamber orchestra that mattered the most. And it wasn't because I had a solo or a lead or I was the principal. It was because I was part of something and I just, I love music. And it was also helpful for me to see that even though my skill directly on the violin isn't top notch, right? Again, it's passable. No complaints there, appreciative. I can read the clef. I can hold the bow and make the notes happen. And maybe someday, maybe someday I will manage a vibrato. But in our sectionals, I noticed I could bring the musicality of my years of playing in groups to help leading in, right? Counting and putting the character of the notes together. That could still translate. And in our most recent rehearsal, there was one measure and it was a dotted quarter note with an eighth note. And the eighth note was lingering. And it really, it just didn't feel right having listened to the piece and heard, you know, the nature of the sound. And so I and asked our director, who is, again, so gracious and has such a beautiful ability to teach and to teach such a wide range of musicians is truly a gift in an art. And she agreed and acknowledged that. And we played it again a few times. And there was a moment when we played it just as it was meant to be played. And we played it really well. And it's that character, dotted quarter note, eighth note, two measures, excuse me, two beats of rest before the next measure. And there was so much resonance and richness in the silence because the character of the notes had been preserved and the tonality of the bowing and it rang out and she exclaimed and I laughed out loud and I realized it was literal joy right at hearing this music being played knowing that I had the opportunity to still participate as a musician with that inner level of knowing and relationship to the music and we could talk on other episodes about reclaiming that music major of myself and how I may wish to bring that to the forefront. And we can look at those priorities and how it comes through and just celebrating right, that this musician is still here. And while she might be wielding an instrument that is not her forte and playing it, you know, sometimes that the bow is all over the place, right? Keeping the elbow <laughs> in its appropriate form. There's so many mechanics to the violin that fascinate me, but I still can be fully my musician self even if that outward appearance isn't the same as it's been and isn't necessarily the best. And even what does that mean? But I don't recall necessarily laughing out loud with true joy. When I say laughter, not in a mocking way, but just in this elated, right? Ability, you couldn't not in that moment because you just felt it, right? You felt the resonance of the note and of the space that followed. And to see that and to offer that up to myself in all the aspects of my life, right? Where am I fully me? And fully me doesn't have to mean winning or even excellence. And there can be a lot of joy in that. 
and I'm, I want to fight this urge. I'm just going to let it come through. It doesn't mean right, that there's not room to grow and expand and learn. Absolutely. All of that is still available. And I think about that with my physician colleagues. Absolutely. Also, we want excellence there. We want sureness and confidence. Indeed. At the same time, right? Can there be room for this grace and this celebration of enjoying what is? And even thinking about that in the practice of medicine. Yes, we want knowledge and excellent technical skill and collegiality and bedside manner, all of those pieces. And at the same time, thinking about too, why are you here? Why are you in the practice of medicine? And can that thread come through, right? Can you fill those beats of rest with that resonance? Because you're still playing those notes, even if it's not exactly what you envisioned. And even if it's not for external accolades, but simply for the joy of being in the moment of what is. And so for me, that has been the journey of 2023 in this opening month of 2024. And I want to take that energy. I was going to say harness it, but I want to invite that energy. That feels like a better word into this new year, this new season of the podcast, this new year of my life, this birthday celebrating my launch onto the planet and all the different iterations and ways of being and opportunities that I've had with so much gratitude, so much grace and appreciation And with the prioritization of joy and of fun, independent of results and skills and outcomes. And I do believe that is going to be the light and the hope and the buoy that will carry me through this next stage of the journey. And I offer to you to consider where in this past year has that happened for you? Where in an unexpected way, you had so much enjoyment of your experience and how can you take that with you into this next phase i want to thank you again for being here for this episode for all those prior and i invite you to reach out to me this osteopathic life at gmail.com share your thoughts share your stories you can find the osteopathic life on facebook and instagram as well and offer up what light and levity and joy are showing up for you in your life and how are you embracing all that you are independent of results so we can continue to journey for the health of all things. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.